Bible reading is from Revelation uh, 21, uh, 1 to 6. Uh, Revelations, if you're a cool person. Um, so while you're turning to that, just uh, want to make a note to, if you haven't been welcomed already, welcome to Trinity Grove. Um, good as gold. So, All right, so the heading is A New Heaven and a New Earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself but will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. A little passage today, but full of gold, as you may have already seen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see... Uh, Revelation 21, um, whether it's the first time that we've heard it or it's many times, help us to see with uh, fresh eyes the hope of heaven again. Amen. Um, Now, let me ask you, can you imagine, when I turn it on, a world without hope? I want to suggest to you, imagining a world without hope is maybe easy or very hard. So I think it's easy to imagine a world uh, without hope when we see how clearly, when we kind of have a clear picture of how messed up the world actually is. And especially if we get caught up in it. Some of us may have even been around to experience war, even if it was as a kid, um, or as, or as a young adult, some of us may have had to go to war. Nothing says the futile and hopelessness of the world than the endless destruction of life and the conflict that is going on in our world all the time. Terrorism has brought that up in a new way for the modern day. The hopelessness of financial crises in whatever way they impact you, personally, the national, the world... And then there's even more horrendous things when we think of all different types and manners of abuse that is happening on in the world and in our country, in our, in this suburb. Lives ruined by drugs, families living on the other side of the world and I would suggest that maybe putting aside the politics the the fact that there are 19, around whatever the numbers are exactly, 19 million people who are refugees 
in the world at the moment points to some hopelessness. It's, it's not easy to, it's quite easy to imagine a world without hope when we think like that. But on the flip side, on the other side, it's not so, so easy to imagine a world without hope when life is going well. When goals are being achieved, when things are working out for you and, and well, lots is working out. Uni may be going well. You may be getting into uni that you've done well at school to you love your job. Do any of us love our job? Yes? No? Okay, maybe that's in the hopeless category then. Um, I like my job, just so you know. Um, but there's lots of things that happen. Even sometimes the little things are just like you have a great holiday and things just you get that sense of hope again. Even the change of the seasons. I, if you're like me, seasonal change makes a big difference. And when you hit that warm weather, that is gold. This extended March period, I haven't had a problem with it just quietly. <laughs> But I wonder, whichever way you're looking at it, I also think there's probably a third option. I think we can even have hope when we probably shouldn't. Hoping with your current salary, that that $5 million mansion in North Adelaide could be yours, is probably a hope that you shouldn't have. Hoping that the... uh, that the selectors will call me up because let's face it, Australia was rubbish on the weekend and they need me to come and save them is false hope. Whatever it is, they're silly examples, but sometimes we do hope in things that it's kind of, well, we really shouldn't have because that was very unrealistic. You see, wherever we sit at the moment, maybe we can all agree on this. It would be nice to hope in a future where good times lie around the corner. That would be nice. We want to believe that there's something good coming. And life really gets us down when there is not that kind of future hope. Today, today we're really engaging with, is there any real hope from God? Is there any real hope from God And what he offers. Does God want us to have hope? Well, I think we need to establish what we mean by hope because that question could either be a yes or a no. You see, I don't think God wants us to have hope in the way that it's most commonly used in just general society. See, I don't think he wants us to have hope what I like to call lotto hope. The hope where you want something to happen and you really wish it happens, but the reality of it happening is really unrealistic. So many people have lotto hope because they do lotto, but not just lotto itself, but whatever it is in life, where you'd love something to happen, you're not sure it may happen, it may not happen. It could even be more likely than something as unlikely as um, winning in gambling to something that it could or could not happen but I don't have any certainty and I'm just hoping that it'll work out, I'm hoping I'll get this job but I don't know because there was 50 applicants, what I hope. If that's how we think about hope, that's not what God wants us to have. See, because the hope that God wants us to have is the way in which 
uh, the Bible talks about hope is that God wants us to have something that is sure, a sure hope. Hope is used to say, hoping in something that you can rely and depend upon. Something in the future dependent upon something in the past. That is what God's hope and offer is for us and for us to consider today. See, what does God's hope look like? Well, let's have a look at the picture at the end. Let's have a look at this passage that Alex read for us in Revelation 21 and see what we think of it. You can follow in your Bibles, it's up on the screen. Um, but let's have a look. Let's have a look at the first four, four verses to start off with. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. See, the hope that God wants us to have is hope in something that actually is a human desire. A place where we can belong. Now, I wonder if you think about it, we all have our places where we love to be. A place where you are valued. A place where you connect in with people. A place where you can have relationships. Our hope is that that's what is a character of Trinity Grove. But we all have those places in all different ways, whether it's our kind of spiritual home where we've, where we've come from or that place in our life that's most significant, where we grew up to where we um, maybe got married or to this house in which was just so treasured to you um, in a part of your life. To whatever it is, humans love to belong. And when we don't, we feel disconnected and out of touch. Whether it's your castle, your home away from home, you have a mobile place that you love to belong because it's just really wherever your friends are. God is saying, where I belong, you belong. That is what He's saying. So have, have a look at and these verses in a little bit more depth. As we go back, you see, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. He's saying, this place, my place, is spectacular. Revelation paints a beautiful picture of what it's like. And here, this spectacular place, well, is for people to be with God. See, God himself on the throne, we see in verse 3, on the throne says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God's dwelling. 
This is where he is. This is where his place is. And he's put people in it with him. It's actually the pinnacle of life and where it all ends. It's where it's all supposed to go. See, the hope here is of a relationship with not just good relationships as they turn out. The hope is a relationship with the one on the throne in perfect harmony. That's the hope of this picture. See, this is a great picture of hope in something that we desire, a place to belong. God's saying, you all kind of feel that way because actually I made you to want to belong with me. And if you had that inkling of wanting to belong, because ultimately that's where it's all supposed to head. But what makes this even better? What makes this even better? In your outline I said it's hope in something that lasts. But I want to add to that. It's hope that's something that lasts and that it's quality. Have a look at verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. He is the Omega, the end. This is where it finishes. This is the eternal picture. The picture of being thirsty and giving water without cost. That water of life that's not explicit there, the water of life is described as being water that gives eternal life, that goes on, that he gives it and then there is no end. This is a picture that lasts forever. Now, I've tried uh, many ways to try and describe how beautiful it is that this uh, picture lasts forever Um, and getting a perspective on that. Because I don't know about you, but I find it hard to get forever. I don't know if you do. Is it just me? But I find it hard to get forever. But one way I like to do it, and thankfully the floor's not that clean, but I've got this little bit of... Here we go. There's one little dot here of something. Not too gross. I think it's just a bit of um, paper. And we've got this red line here. Okay, so let me just put this dot on the line. Can anyone see the dot? Maybe you guys can just, no one else. You guys can't see it. And it's so, so small. This line goes all the way along. Our life, this side of heaven, our life, this side of heaven, everybody's life, this side of heaven, whoever whoever exists, fits in that little dot. Eternity is this line that goes on. Get a perspective of how long this beautiful picture is and its longevity compared to the life we're living now, this side of heaven. We're in a moment. It doesn't feel like it, but we're in a moment. But the illustration's rubbish, actually, because this line needs to just keep going and going and going and never end. The longevity of this magnificent picture we need to keep coming back to. It's a beautiful perspective that we have life with God forever. But there's more. See, as if being with God is not enough, he wants to spell out um, this picture in Revelation is actually um, a vision that 
John, the Apostle John, was given of what heaven's like to give him a picture of it. And this picture of it isn't just that we're with God, but the quality of it is expressed even further. Have a look at verse uh, 4 and 5. That's what Joe helpfully uh, reminded the kids of earlier and reminded us of. See, if we're with God forever, then in verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Stop and consider that for a moment. How brilliant that is. That the eternity is not impeded by death. Eternity is not impeded by the pains that you and I have now, the emotional, the physical, the deep-seated, unimaginable pain that we're living with. Our guilt for our wrongs, the dealing with how others have treated us, they are wiped away. Not because we're just ignoring them, but because it's all been dealt with And there'll never be any more of that. No more death, crying or pain. That is the eternal picture. That lasts way beyond that red line. Everything, everything that gives this world no hope, all those things I briefly mentioned at the beginning and whatever you can think of, are gone. Because what we see in verse 5, he's making everything new. I am making everything new. And he has the authority to do it because he's on the throne of eternity. Here is, without a doubt, a picture of hope. And it's not a picture of hope that you can kind of go, that's all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. I remember, um, I think I was 17 at the time and going to some Christian convention. It was one of my first ones. I'm not sure whether I really got the gospel at this point or not. But I remember the speaker getting up, talking about heaven, um, and he was talking about God being our Father and how much He loves us and all that kind of thing. And he was going on and he said, you know, you're not going to get to heaven and go, that's good, but I kind of prefer my... Well, I think he said, footy. I kind of prefer, well, my family that's always fighting with me back. You're going to look at heaven and go, wow, I didn't realise it was going to be this good. That's spectacular. This is eternity. And that's stuck with my mind because I think that's what's behind Revelation 21. We don't have the full picture of what it's like. We have the picture of God is saying, I'm with you and it could not be better God wants us to have hope in something that lasts, something that we desire, that is so good that the quality of it will never disappoint. But there's a question that needs to be asked. How does it become real for me? How does this hope become real for me? Because sometimes the thing that happens is, 
we kind of automatically assume that that's where I'll be or we kind of think it's just automatic. But that's not so much the case. See, how does this hope become real for me? Well, maybe we need to remember that there were three crosses at Calvary. That place, Calvary, where Jesus died, where we consider at Easter, well, he was not alone. He had two criminals on either side of him. And these criminals engaged with him. One wanted the hope that we're talking about and seeing in Revelation to become real for him. And the other one despised Jesus with his last breath. This passage is so good, um, I'm kind of stealing my my thunder for Good Friday because we're actually going to go to Luke chapter 23 and pull apart this passage and see how God's justice works. But I couldn't help take us there today as a little snippet of it. You see, the criminal was despising Jesus and saying, you're supposed to be the king and look at you, you you pitiless fool. You're, You're on the cross, save us. But then the other criminal says the words which show us how it becomes real. Look at what he says. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How does this hope of heaven become real when we respond to Jesus and just ask him to take us there not to earn it not to take favor he's a criminal who's got a few moments left in his life he ain't earning anything he just acknowledged that his life was wrong that he had been in rebellion of God and he's now asking the king who's on the cross to remember him, to forgive him. And Jesus' response, which we'll consider on Good Friday, simple words, today you will be with me in paradise. This picture of heaven becomes real for you if you just want to come to Jesus at the cross and acknowledge that he has given his life for you. That is what the Christian life is dependent upon. And that is maybe where you need to head today. Maybe whether you're a little bit like Scott and you've kind of been around Christian things for a lot of your life, but you never really have decided to get it. You've kind of just been around it, but you haven't committed to it in any way really whatsoever. Or maybe Christian things are foreign to you, but you see that Jesus has died for you. That this Easter, his death and resurrection does give you life. That this hope of heaven is what you want. What we do is we say, Jesus, I'm sorry and thank you for giving me life. That is our hope. Do you need the hope that is offered this Easter? If you can take away anything from today, 
I hope it's that you consider the picture of revelation and whether you think that's something that you would love into all eternity. And as we finish, as we finish, I want to ask, I want you to consider that not only does it take us into eternity, it shapes all our hopes. Everything rests on Easter. The whole notion of imagining a world without Easter is to say, because if you have no Easter, it is kind of hopeless, as some of the people said, not just chocolate, Scott. Uh, It's everything. Everything. So the question is, did he or didn't he? Did he or didn't he die on the cross? Did he or didn't he rise from the dead? These are questions that you probably shouldn't just leave to thinking, oh, I've got an opinion, but I don't really know. These are questions that must be answered. And there's nothing to hide. See, whatever you imagine about the world, whether you're kind of pessimistic or you're caught up in tough things and it's a world that's easy to think there's no hope, or whether you think, actually, for me at the moment, things are going quite well and things are working out. This future around the corner is where our hope has to lie. Jesus didn't make the world to stay hopeless. He made the world to be new forever. You see, the hope of heaven uh, that Easter brings means that we can have real hopes now and we can deal with them no matter what happens. When you have a hope in something now and it's actually happening, you can enjoy them. As I mentioned earlier, you have that job that you love. You don't have to go, oh, all I can do now is hope in heaven. No, no, no. You rejoice that you've got this great thing that God has given you and you think that is fantastic. But you also know that it's not forever. And so maybe you won't have it all the time. You won't do everything at all costs to keep that job, including uh, trampling over everyone in your path because you're scared of, of losing it and you're insecure that someone's going to take it over and so you take them down because this isn't where your hope ultimately lies. We don't have to obsess about the things that we love and hope in because, well, while it's good, we'll enjoy it and we'll let God be God. Maybe we need to be challenged with the fear of losing the good things that we have. But it also helps us in the times when we don't have hope, when things are falling apart. We all have times in our life where we just go through dark times. All of us, no matter how old we are, it happens. And there is a time where there'll be no war. There is a time when abuse will not exist. There is a time where the pain ends. The clarity of that happened for me with a guy who gave a great testament. I can't remember his name, um, but he was... He was in his uh, 20s and he came to us at a uni conference in his wheelchair. And he said, 
I never understood how good heaven was until I had to sit in this thing. You're saying the longing for being remade new physically became real for him. And all of us 20-year-olds who are healthy and fit and going to play football in a moment. Yeah, we probably didn't have that clarity that he had, that he was longing for. Because we hadn't had that physical falling apart in our life. This Easter, we're going to see how much a world needs the death and resurrection of Jesus. We hope that, they, that we see that it's real, that hope is real. Because we actually don't have to imagine a world without hope because we don't have to imagine a world, as we'll see on Good Friday, without justice. We'll look at those criminals on the cross and we'll see actually justice matters to God and there is justice coming and there is justice at the cross. We get to Easter and the very thing that we've alluded to here, no more death. We can imagine a world with hope because death does not ultimately win. And so we're going to spend Easter Sunday morning celebrating Jesus' resurrection and the life that it gives us. And in the following week, to wrap it up, we, we have real hope where there's justice and where death doesn't win. So that therefore means that you and I can have purpose in life. And so we're going to consider having purpose in life. What direction should your life take? The death and resurrection of Jesus, well, everything hinges on it. Your hope hinges on it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we will be with you into all eternity through your Son. Father, help us. Help us to have the hope of heaven seeing the magnificence of its longevity and its quality. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to deal with it today if we need to, to have good conversations with people, to come this Easter and to deal with your death and resurrection and the joy that it brings. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.